Hey, before we start the show, just a reminder to everybody that you can support this podcast and the amazing people who put it together by going to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Check it out. We've got lots of different subscribing options, lots of extras. If you go there, you'll see it, and you can help us make this show happen. And now, let's go to Edge of Sports. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we talk Super Bowl 52 with Melissa Jacobs from thefootballgirl.com and the Football Girl Podcast. She is a favorite of the show. Also, I've got some choice words about the Super Bowl, my own thoughts about the politics of what took place. We got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down Awards, very important ones this week, Um, an incisive Kaepernick watch, and much more. But first, let's go to Melissa Jacobs. I mean, I want to ask you so much about how the heck the Eagles did this and what the implications are. But first and foremost, um, tell us a little bit, what was it like to be in Minneapolis-St. Paul during the week from the weather to the press amenities to the access you were able to have? What was Super Bowl week like for you? It was awesome. It was my first time in Minneapolis, um, the Twin Cities, and... I, um, you know, I was actually excited to embrace the cold, um, mostly because I recently moved from the East coast to the West coast and and missed it. Um, so yeah, I was, I mean, from the moment you got off the plane to the, the volunteers who lined the skywalk in downtown Minneapolis, I mean, I have never seen a friendlier group of people. Uh, And it just stuns me that so many media members go to this and it's, you know, oh, it's cold as if. You don't know the weather in advance. Like, yes, it is cold. <laughs> Deal with it. Um, you know, the food isn't, you know, the the food in the media center isn't up to snuff. I mean, oh God. you know, we're, we're, we're at the Super Bowl. <laughs> we're covering yeah. the Super Bowl. It's football. I mean, have some perspective. Seriously. Um, it, <laughs> it was a very interesting situation because, you know, everything, w- you know, was in the Mall of America in terms of media. Both both the media center, which was in the food court of the Mall of America, which was really interesting. At, at this time, I should interrupt you rudely and just let you know that I went to college in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So everything you're talking about, I know every inch of that mall. I know every inch okay. of the skywalk. So uh, just letting you know that I'm like totally vicariously living through this stuff, like I'm oh, walking in, awesome. your, in your shoes. But continue, please. Yeah, I basically wanted to bottle up everybody that was in Minneapolis, aside from the media members, and take them back (laughs) with me and have them all be my best friends. Um, But in the Mall of America, well, since you know it so well, there's two hotels um, on both ends, and that's where the Patriots and the Eagles stayed. So that's not the norm at Super Bowls. Usually the teams are, you know, 30 miles away. They're, They're in their own bubble but here, I mean, you could walk into to Nordstrom and, hey, there's Nick Foles getting some new shoes. I mean, that's literally what the scene was like. So it was, it was pretty pretty surreal and, and, and rather convenient. That's great. And in terms of the discussions and of what was discussed, um, 
it was interesting like how much Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels strayed away from what was really the story of this NFL season, and that was the protests, the conflicts mm-hmm. with Trump, the Kaepernick being out of the league. Um, in terms of what players were willing to talk about and wanting to talk about, what, what was that like? Well, you had your, you know, Chris Chris Long and Malcolm Jenkins and Tory Smith. I mean, they they held um, at least one event during the week where they wanted to talk about social mm-hmm. activism. I mean, it, it it wasn't sponsored by the league, but there was a lot of discussion of of progress that they've made toward the league. I I noticed this this term, um, and actually, when when Peter King broke the story that the league was going to infuse the group with money. Well, I guess what was for, the former players, players coalition? coalition or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they use the term protest um, to progress. And Interesting. I, I heard, I heard that a couple of times with, with Eagles. So I, it's kind of starting to feel like there's, you know, some kind of messaging going on. It's like, this is the right way to protest and the other way is the wrong way to protest. Mm-hmm. So I found I found that to be interesting. Yeah, I, I went to the NBC availability. I mean, I didn't ask about the coverage of the topic of the season that you that you're mentioning mentioning, but it, it seemed like it was almost intentionally, you know, pushed aside by by everyone other than the three players that I mentioned. Mm. Eric Reed, who broke from the Players Coalition, San Francisco 49er, great friend of Colin. Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, Michael Bennett uh, may be back with the Seahawks next year, may uh, be released and be a free agent. Um, it all that That's a bit of an open question. Other players as well. We know the NFL doesn't have guaranteed contracts who took part of these protests. What do you see happening this offseason with players like Eric Reed? Do you think it's the sort of – I'm of two minds on it. On the one hand – you know, Colin Kaepernick, one of the things that made what he did so risky is that, you know, you're the quarterback, you're the face of a franchise. Uh, Teams, I think, clearly didn't sign him for his protest, so he would be that face. Uh, Reed, you know, it's more of an anonymous position in the secondary, you know, the line, Mm -hmm. Michael Bennett on the line. But do you think there's going to be a political bloodletting this offseason where players aren't going to get signed if they were part of these protests? That's a very good question. Um, I I don't think so in the case of, certainly not in the case of Bennett because he he has too much talent at a position where there's not an overwhelming amount of talent if you look at other free agents um you know Reed Reed is more of a question mark and I think if you read some of these pieces that are coming out I mean it's they're very much positioning Reed as he's this you know he's this rebel now who's not coalescing mm-hmm. with the rest of the players and I I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if if that did hurt him in free agency. He's not acceding to protest to progress. Exactly. He's not accepting exactly. The, He's looking the branding. at the systemic problem and not, you know, let's enact a specific form of legislature and right. You know, say kumbaya with the NFL. Right. And I think that event you mentioned, um, I know you're right, it wasn't sponsored by the NFL, but I think the NFL had a representative there speaking alongside uh, Jenkins and Long and, and I think Benjamin Watson. Am I getting that event right or am I am I mixing the, the them up? Ri- the Rise event? Yes, yes. By the Ross Institute. Yeah, I, unfortunately I didn't – I really wanted to cover it and I was at a different event that I had to cover. Um, but yeah, I can't remember the, – the, I can't remember the entire roster, but I wouldn't be – Are you digging I mean, this? It, 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 you know, the this whole is so organization cool. is a 
NFL owner. So. Right, right, right. This is so cool, though. Like, like you went from Sports Illustrated and you're doing your own. Are, are you digging this? Like that you're. That... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so awesome. It's it's great. I mean, it's I, you know, I I appreciated my time at Sports Illustrated, but I'm I'm much better as an independent where I feel like I. I just have the rope and the red carpet to kind of do what I want. Living by um, your and wits. And it's fun, you know, it's kind of, I'm figuring things out and I'm not, you know, I'm, not, you know, again, Sports Illustrated was great, but there was a formula there. It was a, you know, a legacy brand magazine. And now I can kind of figure out all the crazy directions digital media is going and try to, try to catch some waves. Okay. So let, let's cut to the chase here. All right. So how did the two questions really, and they're connected. How did the Eagles beat the Patriots and did I really just watch a game where except for one fumble no defense was effectively played and do you like that brand of football these are my questions for you <laughs> um I'll go in in inverse order um yes I think it I think it was the best game we had this season um which was wonderful obviously given that it was a Super Bowl I mean it was I understand a lot of people didn't watch it. Did you watch? Were you, were you protesting and watching the Facts of Life? Oh no, I, I did watch the Facts of Life for the first twenty five minutes, uh, okay. which is a yearly tradition that predates Colin Kaepernick. It started more as it called the Tootie Bowl, and it starts more as a uh, it, it started more as a Twitter protest than an NFL protest. Like this idea that I was infecting people's Twitter timelines with the latest news of Joe and Natalie and Blair and Tootie. I mean that is important. Yeah, it's highly important I think but so. yeah it was um you know I mean it, it was very shocking um the I actually thought it was going to be a low scoring game I think I predicted 27 17 which is for those two teams relatively low scoring and it was it was pretty unbelievable I mean I think it was I mean Brady played lights out and I mean I think it was just so much of Doug Peterson's gutsy play calling that that generated huge plays, huge yardage gains, obviously scores. Um, I mean, it could have been a lot low scoring if he didn't go for it on several of those fourth downs, including the, the Philly special. Um, and wait, 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 you had three questions in there. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, no, no. And a half uh, yeah. I was asking you if, if you like that style of play and, and also like, what, what do you think? I mean, was it all about Peterson's play calling? I mean, so or, or what do you think really was the, the, the secret? Because I think even though a lot of folks were going with the Eagles towards the end, uh, the Patriots were prohibitive favorites going into this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they were four and a half point favorites. Mm -hmm. um, I do, if, if I was going to pinpoint anything, it would be Peterson's gutsy play calling. I mean, you look at that Philly special call and they're up three and there's 34 seconds in the first half. They easily could have kicked a field goal, as Chris Collinsworth was wrongly calling for. Oof. But to, to, you know, to, to initiate that play, execute it. I mean, they never let the Patriots in. Like now, now it's a two-score lead again. And I mean, yes, it looked coming in the second half with Gronkowski coming back to life. It looked like you know, you always felt like the Patriots were going to take control at some point, and they they never did. So I, I think, uh, you know, Peterson, to his credit, I mean, when he was hired he was considered the worst of the six head coaching hires in 2016. And he obviously he ignored that noise and, and, and it's, it's, you know, he has a little Belichick in him and just being gutsy and, and playing to win and not being intimidated by the moment. So 
and and obviously Foles executed everything, you know, almost perfectly. The fact that he just stood in the pocket and, you know, if, you know, he had some decent protection, but he did face pressure and he, he just wasn't stymied at all. I mean, was I still can't believe that that's actually what happened. Yeah, I can't either that, that we're talking about Tom Brady throwing for 500 yards, zero picks, and he was outdueled by Nick Foles. Right. That's right. I mean, still that, shaking my head around. And not not like some Jeff Hostetler, because I remember watching as a kid, like when Jeff Hostetler led the Giants on their miracle run, then people forget, though, the MVP of that Super Bowl was Otis Anderson, because they basically mm-hmm. took the ball out of Hostetler's hands and gummed up the K-gun offense of the... <laughs> Of the Bills, yeah, I'm sounding very old right now. To the K gun, um, but but it's like it's like this was totally different. This was like saying, okay, we're going to out Brady you with Nick Foles, not muck up the game and turn it into mm-hmm. something ugly. Yeah, I mean they they played to win. I mean it was, and and I'm sure you had the sense like all of America when the Brady got the ball back oh, yeah. before he was stripped. It's like they're they're gonna win. And, you know, if, when whenever it was within a score, it's like the Patriots basically have the lead, even if the Eagles are up by six. Are, are you are you are you a Matrix fan? Um, not really. Okay, I, I just did a tweet though with like the um what what the bad guy who has this line where he says, you "Hear that, Mister Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability." <laughs> and it just it felt that way. Yeah. Like I've yeah. seen this movie before and I don't like oh, it. Yeah. And I mean that Hail Mary to Gronk was definitely going to be caught by Gronk, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, or popped up and caught by Amendola, something yeah, equally annoying. Yeah. That would have been more apt actually. <laughs> um anyway, I yeah, I'm still I mean I I I wanted I took a while for me to even write my post game column cuz like my mouth was just a gate for yep. like, 4 hours. It's done i I gotta ask you you mentioned belichick before i don't know how closely you you follow local boston sports media i don't know if you're a masochist in that way um but it's interesting that there is you know saint bill there there's some real questioning going on about what the hell happened with malcolm butler like this is becoming in a lot of respects the biggest post super bowl story like more than peterson and more than Foles. Just like how do you uh, sit someone who played 98% of your snaps in all your playoff games and how do you not tell him that until after, until right before the national anthem? And then he's like with his friends on the sideline, you might have seen this, like just crying oh, during yeah. the anthem and the, and the cameras are showing it and you just think like, is he just really emotional? What's going on here? Um, does what, I mean, First of all, do you have any insight into what the hell happened and why Malcolm Butler didn't play? And second, does this, is it possible that this diminishes Belichick at all? You know, it's so hard to say that that Belichick is, is human, um, but this was crazy. Um, I don't, you know, just seeing some other people reporting, I mean, it's some combination of, he was caught with weed. He was he missed curfew. He was late to a team meeting. He got into it with coaches. I, I don't think there's any really solid, solid reporting mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but it, and I understand wanting to make a point as a coach, but in Oof. the Super Bowl, when you that clearly puts you at a huge disadvantage, and you are the king. I mean, the thing that has defined the Patriots. One of the things is how well they make adjustments in game. So your secondary was getting thrashed mm-hmm. by Nick Foles. Eric Rowe, who replaced Butler, was getting killed. And there was like, you know, a domino trickle effect to that. And 
to not, you know, realize that. I mean, it did really have a major impact on the game. I mean, there were some plays there that, that Butler could have prevented. So in terms of diminishing Belichick, I mean, I think it's it's still not it's still not as crazy as trading Jimmy Garoppolo. You tweeted that, and I, I wanted to ask you about what, what you meant by that. I mean, I kind of meant it verbatim. I mean, it's— What was so weird about getting rid of Jimmy G, given how Brady was having an MVP year? He says he wants to play five more seasons. Jimmy G's contract's coming up. He's 26. Um, yeah. What— I mean, was it the team they traded him to? Was it what they got back for him? Or was it not cutting bait on Brady, which would be a logical move for a 40-plus-year-old quarterback not named Tom Brady? What do you think um, was the strangest part of that move? I mean, it was the confluence of everything you just mentioned. And the fact that that Belichick plucked this guy. I mean, this was the future. He Mm -hmm. had set up this plan. I mean, you know, I know everyone in Boston after the first playoff game that Brady looked like he was 30, you know, wanted to poo-poo the Seth Wickersham story. Mm -hmm. But there's still nobody, you know, nobody's answered the question. I mean, Brady can put up 700 yards, but it still doesn't answer the question why Belichick made this move. I mean, it makes zero sense. I mean, you, as we saw this entire NFL season, franchise quarterbacks don't, grow on trees and that that is clearly the most important position as as obviously the patriots of any team know full well and they you know they know what they had there i mean they you know i don't they're probably weren't surprised at what garoppolo did once he took the reins in san francisco so it it just it's almost like I, I, I'm probably get panned for saying this, but it's like I'm waiting for that Adam Schefter tweet of like, oh, Bill Belichick announces his retirement. Mm. Like it wouldn't surprise me because it's, you know, that plus the Butler move. I mean, you know, someone as prideful as Belichick, if he's on his way out, he's losing both of his coordinators. Like, you know, maybe he's trying to make a, a bigger point than just collecting another ring. And I know it's a crazy theory, but no, no, the, the weird thing about the Butler move is, I mean, Bill Belichick's been cold. He's been robotic. He's been, mm-hmm. you could argue heartless when it comes to some of these individual players and their connection to the franchise. I don't, I can't remember any time where I would call Bill Belichick irrational. And there's yeah. something irrational about telling somebody after the anthem. Cause to me, worst case scenario, you take him aside that morning and you say, you mm-hmm. need to get ready for this. But telling him at that moment, right when he tells his best friends in the defensive secondary and they're <laughs> all trying to console him right before they go out onto the field, I mean, it's it's not a rational way to approach an issue, even if Malcolm Butler did everything people are rumoring uh, to say. You know, it, it just doesn't there's, – there's not a logic to it that you're used yeah. to with Belichick. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's just cold. And plus what it does to your deal, I mean, when did Matt Patricia find this out? Yeah. I mean, how do you, you know, you have to make adjustments as a coach. Did he find this out 10 seconds before kickoff or what seemingly he did? I mean, it's, you're right. It's it's completely irrational. And I, I do believe that, you know, as, as storied as Belichick is, and I do believe he's the greatest coach in the history of football, um, it's, it's going to be a stain for sure. It's odd, for sure, and and it's one of those things where we'll get the, you know, we're, we're in this instant media culture, but you know it'll be in six months, it'll be Don Van Natta, Seth Wickersham, it'll be some deep dive that we just don't know yet. 
Right. Plus, you know, and I don't know what what your take on this is. I mean, he lied to Michelle Tafoya. Oh, yeah. He did that halftime interview and it was like, this is what gives us the best chance on the field. I mean, you know, should we be finding coaches and and players? I mean, they get fined if they don't talk to the media. What if they flat out lie to the media? I mean, 100 million people knew that was a lie. So I don't know. Well, I also heard that the State of the Union was the largest watched State of the Union in history, despite evidence to the contrary. I mean, I just feel like lying has lost so much currency in the last <laughs> year. Hope uh, to make truth matter again. Um, here's a question for you that, that um, my producer here, Dan, wants an answer to. He wants to know from you if you think the Eagles or the Patriots have a better chance of getting to the Super Bowl next year. Who, who are you more bully on going into 2018? Well, I know I happen to um, have a some secret knowledge that Dan is a Patriots fan and I'm sorry to inform inform him, but I think the Eagles are much more well-equipped. I mean, first of all, they're going to get Carson Wentz back. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be, you know, we'll see how he recovers from the injury, but he was going to be the MVP this year. And I mean, look, look at the pieces around them. I mean, they're, you know, they'll lose some in free agency. I mean, look at the depth at running back, look at, Look at the receiving core. Even they have some up and comers on there, let alone Alshon Jeffrey. And look at the Patriots. I mean, look at their. They have Brady, who will be forty-one. I mean, you still have Brady, but you know, you're look at the defense. Com- almost needs to be completely rebuilt. I mean, they were. I know they were fifth in points allowed, and I think they were like twenty-ninth in um, yardage allowed. And I, those points allowed was a lot because of what, you know, the position the offense had put them in, field position and whatnot. They didn't have a lot of talent on that defense. So to ask a, an aging Brady to continue to compensate for that is, is, you know, and who knows if Belichick will be there, who knows if Brady will be there. So I would definitely put my money on the Eagles now if I had to pick between the two. It's the tough thing about that because I agree with you in terms of which team is stronger. But when I look at the NFC, I feel like the Saints are going to be powerful next year. I mm-hmm. refuse to believe the Seahawks won't bounce back. Um, Rams up and comer. Vikings, if they figure out their quarterback. There's just like a, a lot of uh, a lot of kettlefish in the water there in the NFC. And in the AFC, I'm, I'm really like at a bit of a loss. Like, yeah, I think the Patriots are done, but, you know, if someone has to be there to take their place. That's a good point. I mean, Jacksonville is, you know, a possibility. I mean, who knows what the Colts look like if Andrew Luck ever comes back. I mean, we – you just don't know. Like, where is the next Marshawn Lattimore that, that True. added so much to the Saints this year? Is he going to be drafted by an AFC team? I mean, there's there's so many questions at this point that I, can, I, I just can't help but kind of simplistically look at the rosters of both of those two teams and, and feel like the Eagles inherently have an edge. Plus, I mean, look at Doug Peterson playoff coaching. I mean, that's yeah. a huge – and that's just going to boost them with so much confidence moving forward. No, that's true. Well, Melissa, you've been so generous with your time. For folks out there listening, uh, there's a three-hour time difference, and so Melissa uh, really. hopefully has had some coffee. But either way, you've been terrific. When is the Football Girl book going to be written? What are the plans Ooh. there? I know. Last time I was on, you told me to write a book. I and did. I so I'm dis- I've decided to be what's called a nudge. I'm not like you. I can't just turn out a new book every two months. Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> Show me how. Show me how to focus. You, you need to give me those skills, and then then the football girl book will start. You need what's called the kid closet for locking them away. That's the first thing. Soundproof room. You're good. 
And then, all right, sounds good. Okay, just kidding, everybody. Don't call Child Protective Services. <laughs> um, and then, last question for you: As you were going through Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, Mall of America, I'm sure you had some tunes with you. What were you listening to, Melissa? Well, I listen um, to a lot of uh, soundtrack of the Lorax, and that's what my kids listen to. Now, I have a mix of of hip-hop. I mean, it's kind of like cheesy pop 40 stuff, but I I incorporate some Migos and some of the popular tunes. But mostly, honestly, mostly I just listen to Hamilton when I really want something that to, to rev me up and not think about the actual country and have some hope for the future. I saw the show a year and a half ago, and I continue to listen to the soundtrack almost every day in some form. Hey, Kamau Bell listens to the Frozen soundtrack when he's on the road, so there's nothing you could say that would uh, out-geek that. So, no worries. (laughs) No, that's awesome. Uh, Big Hamilton fans here. uh, here Have you you seen it? Oh, yeah. Saw it in New York. uh, Saw it... Uh, original cast, um, nice. although Lin Manuel was not there. So, other than that, original cast. So you saw Javier. Yes, and he was amazing. And then I felt yeah. really happy afterwards because I read an article um, about how he's preferable to Lin. Yeah, he's the sexy hammer. Oh God, know. yeah, and he is. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I saw it with Lin, and obviously there is a about it but it was I, I wanted to hear I wanted to hear Javier's voice and I never got to see him hey Melissa thanks yeah. so much I really appreciate you doing this this early yeah no problem it's healthy for me to be up this early anyhow so no, thanks for having me and now a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast The Nation Magazine look The need for independent media has never been stronger. The Nation Magazine's been doing it for 150 years, and they are in can't-stop-won't-stop mode. Uh, This week's issue, which you can read online, the full issue, if you subscribe, uh, we've got Bryce Covert, who's a tremendous journalist on sexual harassment in the food service industry, and Bill McKibben, the legend on climate change. Got all sorts of other stuff as well, and it's an amazing thing because you just go to thenation.com slash subscribe, you get access to everything. You just go to thenation.com, you get access to some things. And you should do both. And because when you get a taste of the kind of journalism that the nation is doing, you'll understand why it's so indispensable. And of course, when you go to thenation.com slash subscribe and support the magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. And now, back to Edge of Sports. And now it's time for my own choice words about this Super Bowl. Look, let's get the easy part out of the way. That was the greatest Super Bowl I've ever seen in my life. The Eagles beat the Patriots, sending the city of brotherly love into a spasm of lusty joy. Instead of the Patriots winning their sixth title, the Eagles win their first ever. There are so many reasons to feel a tremendous sense of satisfaction about an Eagles triumph, and not just to cheer for a long-suffering sports town. 
The Super Bowl champs are a team that spent the 2017 season at the heart of the protests and gestures staged during the national anthem against police brutality, mass incarceration, and this president. They have now shown the world that having a conscience is not a distraction from team success, a vital civics lesson that will trickle down to high schools and sports far from football. The next time a coach tells a player that they are putting themselves ahead of their team by giving a damn about their community, that young athlete can point at these eagles and stand or kneel with confidence. And what a damn game it was. I'm sorry, I gotta go back to this. Um, According to NFL research, Super Bowl 52 had the most total yards of any game in NFL history. Tom Brady became the first QB in any game to throw for over 500 yards and three touchdowns with zero picks and still lose. Hell, the Patriots did not even punt once in this game, and they lost. Brady was somehow outdueled by Eagles backup quarterback Nick Foles. I mean, for folks who are still football fans... Despite the many reasons that this league has generated to push us away, from the blackballing of Colin Kaepernick to the horrific effects of head injuries, this game was a tonic, the goosebump generator that Roger Goodell so desperately needed. It was also, by design, an aggressively depoliticized contest. Usually, the NFL stages the Super Bowl in a way that would have made Mao blush, with military processions to shame Red Square. But this year... The military flyovers before the game were more of a let's occupy Granada scope instead of time to invade Poland. Dan just said, oh, Jesus. All right. In addition, in addition, the NFL didn't have to deal with the 15-year tradition of a president doing an interview before the game, an interview that surely would have addressed the tired ugliness of Trump's highly racialized war with the NFL and his vulgar attacks on players who protest police violence during the anthem. Instead, Trump chose to go to another Trump property instead of sitting down with Lester Holt of NBC News, which was a blessed relief to all of us on social media. And probably Trump did this because the last time he sat down with Lester Holt, he kind of sort of admitted to a felony. Now, the game's announcers, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, also followed their depoliticization script, providing minimal coverage to the story that animated this season, the protests. They also, not surprisingly, did not address the presence of the hundreds of people protesting throughout the Twin Cities against the militarization and hyper-commercialization of the big game. As they gushed about Minneapolis as a host, you would never know that brave people were blocking the light rail to the game, because on this day, that was public transportation reserved only for those with Super Bowl tickets. All of this depoliticization was symbolized sharply by a Dodge Ram truck commercial that cherry-picked a speech from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was gross, although in one of the great ironies in the history of commercial television, I truly do believe this. As Kate Harlow from Mother Jones really was the first to point out, Dr. King in that same sermon actually critiqued car commercials. And Harlow recut the commercial with King's condemnation of commercialism, and it's brilliant, and we're going to be playing this later in the show. This Ram truck commercial also 
unexpectedly connected with Justin Timberlake's Whole Milk Halftime performance, which was complete with a Prince tribute that Prince never would have wanted and with Janet Jackson nowhere to be found. And people should please read Chris Richards' devastating piece in the Washington Post called How Justin Timberlake Lost the Super Bowl, basically exploiting Prince in death in a way that Prince never would have wanted in life. By the time the game was all over, Roger Goodell, for the first time in living memory, didn't even get booed when handing over the Lombardi Trophy to the winner. It was surely a blessed relief for Goodell and the NFL to just be able to turn the politics off at least for one night. But hey, given the number of players on the Eagles who have already announced that they would not be going to the White House, that relief will not last long. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. This week, the Just Stand Up Award goes to the members of the Philadelphia Eagles who, before the confetti had even fallen to the turf at the Super Bowl, announced that they would not be going to visit the White House as long as Donald Trump occupies that office. As Tory Smith, the wide receiver and UMD Terp said, it goes beyond politics. I just don't think he is a good person. That's Tory Smith making it very plain. Chris Long and Malcolm Jenkins have already said that, and rumors are out and about that the Eagles may vote as a team to just not visit the White House. That's what happens when you have a president who says that very fine people march with Nazis and Haiti and Africa comprise quote-unquote shithole countries. As Greg Popovich says, you don't get respect just because you're the president. Respect is earned. This president hasn't earned respect, and the players are right to not go. And that actually connects directly with the just sit your ass down. Sit your ass down! I've got a couple of them this week, and one goes to that person in the Oval Office, Donald Trump. Uh, The tragic news over Super Bowl weekend was that Indianapolis Colts linebacker Edwin Jackson was killed by a drunk driver. That drunk driver was an undocumented immigrant. Uh, Donald Trump immediately took to Twitter to exploit Edwin Jackson's death for his own anti-immigrant agenda. This is nauseating, not just because it's Donald Trump exploiting this racism, but you think about Donald Trump's grotesque silence when, for example, Lieutenant Richard Collins III was killed by a white supremacist at the University of Maryland campus. His silence is there has been a killing spree of white nationalist murders around this country as documented by the Huffington Post, and yet Donald Trump says nothing about that. He selectively chooses his outrages to stoke the racism of his own base, and there's just a particular obscenity about the fact that he is using the death of an NFL player after spending a year of demonizing the NFL in highly racialized terms. The man is a tossed salad of racism. That is the first Just Sit Your Ass Down award. Sit your ass down, Donald Trump. other one goes to Dodge Trucks, Ram Trucks, for their use of that Martin Luther King speech, cherry-picking part of that speech for their ad. What's so crazy about it, as I mentioned earlier, is that in that same speech by Dr. King, he actually blasted car commercials. I want to play for you a recut version of that ad if this audio had been used. And once again, shout out to Kate Harlow from Mother Jones. Check this out. And imagine that same Ram Truck ad with instead of the cherry-picked, sort of depoliticized section of the speech being played, 
Imagine if this was played instead. Uh, the presence of this instinct explains why we are so often taken by advertisers. You know, uh, those gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion. And they have a way of saying things to you that kind of gets you in the bind. In order to be a man of distinction, you must drink this whiskey. In order to make your neighbors envious, you must drive this type of car. In order to be lovely to love, you must wear this kind of uh, lipstick or this kind of perfume. And you know, before you know it, you're just buying that stuff. I've got to drive this car because it's something about this car that makes my car a little better than my neighbor's car. And I am sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. And I'm going to continue to say it to America. And now it's time for the part of the show that we call Kaepernick Watch, the latest uh, comings and goings of ostracized quarterback Colin Kaepernick. Just a couple of things this week. Um, Colin Kaepernick has continued his quest to get uh, celebrities to match his million dollars in gift giving. I mean, received a generous donation from Meek Mill, who's uh, currently in jail. And Meek Mill, whose song Dreams and Nightmares uh, was the anthem for the Philadelphia Eagles. That was um, a beautiful piece of the entire weekend coming together very consciously, I think. The other Kaepernick Watch news, people should check out a very interesting article by William Roden for The Undefeated saying that uh, Demora Smith, who's a friend of the show, uh, who's the executive director of the NFL Players Association, made a serious error in not immediately casting the Colin Kaepernick collusion as a labor issue. And instead it became, of course, a social justice issue, an anti-racist issue, an anti-Trump issue, an issue about patriotism, all of these other things. Um, and William Roden said that Smith should have from the very beginning, as in August 2016, started pitching this as a labor issue. And then come August 2017, when it looked like Kaepernick was going to be on the outside looking in, you cast it as a labor issue, as a way of uniting players, because even if players don't all agree with what Colin Kaepernick was doing, all of them agree in having basic labor protections. Uh, it's an interesting argument. I, w I think one of the things missing from it, though, is the fact that the NFLPA legal team is working with Colin's legal team on the collusion issue, and Smith has said several things, um, and the NFLPA has, um, about protecting the rights of players. Now, could they have been earlier and more aggressive about it? That's a different question. Would it make a difference in terms of the NFLPA's negotiating position if all players were united around Kaepernick? That's a different question. Uh, but the article itself is very provocative, and I do recommend it for folks to seek out William Roden at The Undefeated. And I'd love to get Demora Smith on the show to speak about uh, the Roden piece. We're going to look into that. Well, that's all for this week's Edge of Sports podcast. Thank you so much to Melissa Jacobs. Thank you so much to everybody out there listening. Thank you to everybody supporting us on Patreon. Remember, please subscribe also to thenation.com slash subscribe to support this podcast. Folks, if you want to listen to 
back episodes of the Edge of Sports Podcast, go to edgeofsportspodcast.com. If you like the show, please subscribe to it at iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Leave a message, leave a rating. All that stuff makes a gargantuan difference to us. For everybody out there listening, thank you to my producer, Dan Baker, standing in this week for David Tigaboo, and thank you to everybody out there. We are out of here. Stay frosty, everybody. Peace. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.